back in Philippians 4 today and next week. Um, what a great time of worship, amen? Man. Philippians 4, verses 4 through 9 is where we're going to focus uh, actually today and next week. Just kind of give you a preview. Uh, we're going to work our way through these verses very methodically because I want to make sure that we bring out all six of these things that I, I really think God is going to reveal some things to us. I know he's revealed some things to me just through studying it. We've covered the circumstances that led Paul to give us these verses. We talked about last week Twisted Sisters. We talked about the problem that was going on between Euodia and Sintichi and, and how that had become, it was their issue, but it also become the church's issue. And we know that is still true today. Uh, we're still battling that in 2020. And we didn't have time to fully flesh out the second half of this chapter uh, or this section of the chapter. So we're going to look at those a little more closely today. I thought about calling this sermon, uh, Right Thinking Leads to Right Living, and then I did some more study and was working through it and pondering it, and I thought, no, maybe it should be, um, you know, the other way around, it should be right uh, living leads to right thinking, and I've come to the conclusion that it's both. And since that title is too long, we're just going to call it God's Kind of People. And I'm going to take this week and next week to cover it all because I want us to take a good hard look, not just at this passage, but I want us to look at ourselves. Now listen, church, we, we can come in here and we can play church. We can come in and we can sit in the chairs and we can, you know, look all churchy and we can sing the songs and we can, hey, good morning, brother, good morning, sister, and you know, we can do all that. Or we can take these next two weeks to let the Bible examine us. We can take the next two weeks and just open ourselves, bear ourselves to God. And by the way, just parenthetically, you don't have to do that. He can see everything anyway. It's not like you're giving him some big, ooh, look at me, God, I'm letting you look at me. He's like, I've been seeing you since before your grandparents got together. He's, that's the thing about knowing the end from the beginning. He knows it all. But I would really like for us to take some, some time over these next two weeks to really kind of examine ourselves in light of these scriptures and think about who we are in Christ and what we're doing for Christ and what we're doing with the love of God that he's put in us, what we're doing with the salvation that he so richly blessed us with. So I want to cover six attributes or identifiers that we should be able to see in ourselves to determine if we're being the kind of person that God has called us and made provision for us to be. So we'll cover the first three this week, Lord willing, and we'll cover the next three next week, Lord willing. And I, wanted to, I want to make sure that we understand you can't tell which people are God's kind of people by looking at them. You can only get an idea of whether or not someone is God's kind of person by knowing them because only God truly knows, especially when you just see somebody at church. Now, listen, we won't ask anybody to raise any hands this morning, but you ever, you ever, you ever caught yourself kind of being one person at church and then one person at home? And I want to ask any of our kids in here to say, has mom or dad ever been one kind of person in the car on the way to church? I'm just going to leave that alone. Now I'm meddling. All right, I'm sorry. I got off the page a little bit. But see, you can't tell who belonged to Christ by looking at them. And you really can't necessarily tell it just by spending a little time with them. But let me promise you something. Uh, your, your life will have a pattern. Your, your testimony will live itself out in a way that shows people who you belong to. If we want to represent Jesus well and make disciples like he's told us to do, we need to know what we're supposed to look like to the lost world that we're trying to reach. Now, my only hope, 
Now, this is speaking for me, all right? I'm not speaking for you. I'm going to let you deal with your own stuff. But my only hope to ever be the kind of person that God can use is to live my life more like Jesus every single day. And to live that way, I have to completely submit to the leading of the Holy Spirit because I can't do that on my own. Even though I was raised in church, y'all heard me say this, I was in church the first Sunday I was home from the hospital, and unless I could fake my way out of it or was really seriously sick, I was in church every Sunday thereafter. But I never knew Christ until I was almost 26 years old. If you're not sure that you've committed your life to Jesus, I want you to listen to these messages this, this week and next and ask yourself if you want to have these kind of attributes in your life. Because I will say this, having the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of you is your only hope to really exemplify Jesus, to live out what we're going to talk about over these next two weeks. So let's read the passage and just dive in and see what we can take from Paul's letter to the church at Philippi that can help the church at Wemo and us individually today. So if you would, I know you sat for just a minute. Let's stretch those leg muscles out. Let's stand back up for just a second in honor of the public reading and proclamation of the word of Almighty God. Amen? We're going to be in Philippians 4, and we're going to begin in verse 4 and read through verse 9. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your graciousness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Don't worry about anything, but in everything through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses every thought, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any moral excellence and if there is any praise, dwell on these things. Do what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, and the God of peace will be with you. Father God, speak to us today through your word and through your servant. Empty me of myself, fill me more with Jesus, and we'll give you the praise for it in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. So the first thing I want us to see is that if we're going to be God's kind of people, we have to be people of celebration. People of celebration. Now, by the way, I know that some of us are, are exuberant today and some of us are in mourning today based on what a bunch of uh, college-age kids did on a football field yesterday afternoon. And can I just tell you, that can't be where you get your joy. And, and that can't be where you get your peace. And that can't be where you find your hope. He says here, rejoice in the Lord Always. Not rejoice in your team, not rejoice in your money, not rejoice in your job status, not rejoice in what your kids do or don't do, but rejoice in the Lord. He says it again, rejoice. Why does he say it twice? Because the main thing he wants us to get out of this is that our lives have got to be lives of joy. Can I tell you this? I've seen people who know Jesus who are battling cancer and have joy. I've seen people who know Jesus who have lost everything through uh, the a stock market crash or financial problems, and they have joy. What I've never seen is somebody without Jesus that has joy. I've seen somebody without Jesus be high or drunk. I've seen somebody without Jesus be you know, uh, filled with this exuberance over their money or their financial situation. But for us that know Christ, we know that he is the only source, the only hope of us having joy on this side of eternity and definitely the only joy and hope for the other side of eternity. Now, what seems like an amazing transition on the surface, Paul moves from a problem in the church to a call for joy. But upon further review, it makes perfect sense because he brings up the problem and then he directs our attention to the solution. He uses this word rejoice, which is kairo, and it means to be glad or to celebrate. 
Uh, Neil McKeever taught our Thrive Night Thursday night, and I had to go add this to my sermon because it was so good. He brought up a line from a children's song, and the name of the song is Joy is the Flag. All right, I got to know. Anybody in here know the song Joy is the Flag? There we go. Okay. Praise the Lord. I didn't think, David, I didn't know that you were going to be the guy who knew it, but I was hoping that somebody would know it. So for for David's benefit, I'm not going to sing it. All right? So here it is. Joy, this is the line that, that just hooked me that Neil shared the other night. Joy is the flag flown high from the castle of my heart when the king is in residence there. And here's what that song doesn't say. Joy is the flag that I fly when everything's good. Joy is the flag that I fly when my 401k is rocking. Joy is the flag that I fly when my boss is happy with me, when my wife is happy with me, when my kids aren't aggravating me. (laughs) It doesn't say any of that. What does it say? It says joy is the flag when the king is in residence. Can I tell you this morning, church, nothing else that I'm going to give you from Philippians 4 today is going to help you have joy if you don't have Jesus. Romans 5 has this passage, verses 1 through 5. I'm not going to read all of it, but he says in verses 2 and 3, just give you the, the cliff notes here. He says, we've obtained access through him by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also rejoice in our afflictions. How in the world can you tell me that I rejoice in the hope of the glory of God and rejoice in the afflictions? Because of God. Because if I have Christ, I understand that everything that I suffer on this side of eternity is temporary. And now listen, temporary can stink. Temporary can be 70 or 80 years. But listen to me. We have to have an eternal perspective to understand that no matter how bad it gets on this side of heaven... Our intention is not to stay on this side of heaven. Our hope is not found on this side of heaven. Our hope is laid up for us in eternity with Jesus. And He's given us the power of the Holy Spirit to walk through whatever we have to walk through. That's why Paul can say, after talking about this problem in the church, and this, this obviously these two leaders, these strong leaders that are butting heads, and it's come to the attention all the way to a prison in Rome, and Paul can say, Rejoice! Because he knows it's an eternal perspective. We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God, and we therefore can rejoice in our afflictions. The prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 61.10 says, I greatly rejoice in the Lord, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation and wrapped me, listen, in a robe of righteousness. Let me tell you what that doesn't say. I have earned my robe of righteousness. In the, in the American church, in America in general, we have a very earned mentality. Some of us. We're, we're getting away from that. And, and by the way, that's a, that's a dangerous road to go down too. You, you can't be so far over in the I earned this camp, but you also can't get all the way over here to this I deserve this camp. You see what I'm saying? There's two different camps and we don't find ourselves, we don't find our home church in either camp. Because we know that what we have earned is eternity in separation from God in a place called hell because of our sin. But what God has given us is the gift of eternal life through Christ Jesus. So we've got to find this middle ground. And this is what kind of what the prophet Isaiah was talking about. Now listen to, what, just listen to that verse again. 
I greatly rejoice in the Lord, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation and wrapped me in a robe of righteousness. Can you imagine how Isaiah would feel if he could experience what we know as followers of Jesus? This is years before the coming of Christ. And Isaiah is prophesying about this. He was writing about the deliverance of God's people by the Messiah when he recorded this chapter as an address of the Messianic servant of God. But we experience what this passage describes when we surrender to Christ and we're clothed in his righteousness. 2 Corinthians 5.21, he made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us so that we might become or put on the righteousness of God. When the 70 disciples came back from their mission in Luke 10, they were amazed that demons submitted to this name of Jesus. And they said to Jesus in verses 8, uh, they, they talked about that, and then Jesus replied to them in verses 18 through 20 of Luke 10. He says, I watched Satan fall from heaven like a lightning flash. And he says, look, I've given you the authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and over all the powers of the enemy. Nothing will ever harm you. By the way, that's not for us, church. Don't go stepping on snakes and scorpions today because of this verse. That's, that's out of context. In verse 20, here's what I want us to pull away from this. Listen, verse 20. However, don't rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. That's the, that's the perspective that we have to have when we're talking about what he says here to rejoice. It's not rejoicing because I have it so good here because I may not tomorrow. It's not saying rejoice when things are good here. It's saying understand, don't rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. In Romans 12, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but uh, Romans 12, 12 says rejoice in hope. Romans 12, 15, rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. This whole thing is drawing our attention to know that there is hope in the middle of hopelessness. There is joy in the middle of sorrow. There is peace in the middle of war. Why? Because we know whose we are and therefore we can celebrate and have a life of celebration even if it's not a life of earthly perfection i wrote this statement that we're going to move on to the next one it's hard to be seething when you're too busy celebrating now i, I listen i don't want to meddle this morning it's not my nature but some of us some of us want to get our feelings hurt some of us want to find some way to be offended. Some of us want to find some great wrong that has been done to us so we can stand on that. Can I just tell you, that's not how we're supposed to live our lives. We're supposed to live lives of celebration. Rejoice in the Lord. And he says, it again, I will say it again, rejoice. So we're to be people of celebration, but we're also to be people with moderation. Let your graciousness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Verse 5. Let your graciousness... By the way, that doesn't say let your bank account be known to everyone. It doesn't say let your abilities and your giftings be known to everyone. Let your uh, physique be known to everyone. There's a lot of things that, that we have kind of turned this to be where we get that from, uh, that, that self-satisfaction, that, that feeling of accomplishment. That's not what he's telling us to do. Let your graciousness be known to everyone. In other words, let everyone, let your, our, our mission as followers of Christ is to point people to Jesus, not point people to us. Our mission as followers of Christ are to point people to the greatness of God, not to try to tell them about our greatness. Because the Bible says that our righteousness is what? It's as filthy rags. That word graciousness is translated in the New American Standard as forbearing spirit. 
And in the King James, it's called moderation. So that's where I get that we, we're to be people with moderation. It's a, it's a Greek word that means gentle or patient. See, Paul tells them to be known by their moderation, and to do that, he reminds them of God's habitation. He tells them to be known by their moderation, and he reminds them of God's habitation. He says, the Lord is near. Can I tell you, there's been times in my life where there's nothing that would have consoled me like that statement, the Lord is near. Even though you're where you are, even though this hospital room is dark because my dad is dying, they're taking him off life support, and I'm standing here saying goodbye to my earthly father, the Lord is near. We've gone through the same thing with my mother-in-law, with my father-in-law, people that I love dearly. We've been through this with a lot of different things in our lives, and there's just times when there's nothing else that can help. There's no other balm. There's no other salve than to stand in the presence of a holy God knowing that you are loved by God and that He is near even when you don't seem near. Even in, the, even in the, the very shadow of death, we know that He is still near us because He has promised He'll never leave. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. Don't you know that your body is a sanctuary of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. This habitation has is, is got to be with moderation. He, we're to be known by people who are gracious. Why? Because the Lord is near us. You ever notice that when the, the teacher is, is close by, that you always seem to, to act a little better? Well, maybe not all of us. But most of the time, I could, I could pull it together if I knew the teacher was watching. My problem was always I would get distracted running my little comedy bits in school, and I wouldn't notice that the teacher who'd come back in the room was standing there watching me. And I'd make some little zinger, and I'd look at my buddy and go, she's right behind me, isn't she? And then my habitation was made in the hallway. So he's, he's reminding them that they are to be known, watch this, for having the humility of Jesus. Can I tell you, humility is, of sh is in short supply in America today, sadly. Let me give you four verses. Philippians uh, 2, 5, make your own attitude that of Christ Jesus. Ephesians 4, 1, walk worthy of the calling you have received. Ephesians 5, 1, be imitators of God as dearly loved children. In 1 Corinthians 2, 16, we have the mind of of Christ. We may have the mind of Christ, but let me tell you something, church. Sometimes we struggle to have the attitude and the actions of Christ. And then that phrase, it's almost like it's almost like Paul just like throws it in at the end of this verse. Let your graciousness be known to everyone. And then he says, The Lord is near. That should serve as a reminder that God is close by, so he sees how we think, how we act, and how we respond to others. Anybody in here ever have a problem in school? Anybody ever get in trouble in school? Okay, I'm, like, I'm just going to call you out. I knew. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> hey, I'm looking over there like, all right, now get that hand. Hey, okay. <laughs> I did. I had problems in school. You know why? Because I didn't always understand this concept that the Lord is near. If the teacher wasn't near, I'd start acting up. If my mom and dad weren't near, they ain't no telling what I would do. Let me tell you something, church. We need to realize and recognize that the Lord is near, always. He's always near. So how would that change how, uh, how you acted if you could literally see Jesus standing next to you as you spoke to somebody? Would that change? L let me just do this. 
if you're about to say something, if I'm about to say something negative, I should picture Jesus standing next to that person. If I'm about to be hateful and, and just mean-spirited, I should picture Jesus standing next to that person. Because I'm going to tell you something. That person is somebody who Jesus gave his life for. Now listen, I'm not saying that we have to agree with everybody, but I'm telling you, in the love of Christ, we have to try to love everyone. Even the most unlovable. Because listen, that was you. That was me. I didn't deserve Christ going to a cross for me, but he did it anyway. You know why? Love. So how do we not show love if Christ has shown that kind of love for us? Would it change what you posted or commented if you could literally see Jesus standing next to you as you typed? You got your phone out, man, you're about to cook somebody's grits, man. You're like, I tell you what. Doggone Auburn fan. Stinking Alabama fan. I'm about to light them up. They don't like the president that I like. They don't like the candidate I like. They don't vote for the party I like. I'm about to rip them apart. And then you just look over your shoulder and see Jesus standing there looking at you going, you know, I died for them too. Can I tell you something, church, in the South? Can I tell you, Alabama church? I want everybody to listen to me. Jesus died for Democrats. Jesus died for Republicans. Jesus died for independents. Jesus died for libertarians. Jesus died for people who couldn't care less about politics. Stop putting your political opinions in front of your relationship with Christ. And in the South, stop putting your football team in front of your relationship with Christ. Because here's the spoiler alert. You ready for this? The two what-ifs I just gave you, here's the spoiler alert. He is standing right there. He sees everything you do, everything you post, everything you tweet, type, think. He sees it all. And you need to make sure that whatever it is, the last thing you think before you hit post or send or whatever that word, whatever, whatever you're doing, whatever you, the last thing you do before you put that out on a text or social media is, is this going to honor the Lord Jesus Christ? We were taught in the old Christmas song, Santa Claus is coming to town, the following. He knows when you are sleeping. It's a little creepy, just being honest. He knows when you're awake. Do y'all know this? What's the next line? He knows if you've been, when you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake. So... Be good for goodness sake. There you go. And really, as a kid, I didn't think be good for goodness sake. I thought be good or I'm not going to get any presents. But let me tell you something. God is more powerful than Santa Claus because he knows all that Santa knows and so much more. Because here's what I want you to get from this. He knows when you will be bad or good. Santa knows after the thing has happened... Jesus knows before you know that you think you might do it. Knowing that He knows what I'm going to do before I do it makes the fact that He loves me even more difficult for me to wrap my mind around. I'm just being honest. Y'all listen, can I, just be, can, I just, can I just be kind of transparent for a minute? There's most of the time that I don't even like me. And yet I know that Jesus loved me enough to go to a cross 
and be humiliated and ridicule the most powerful being to ever put two feet on this dirty, stinking rock floating around the sun came here and emptied himself of his authority and power to go to a cross and die in my place. That should help us sleep better at night when we've given our lives to Christ to know that the king of the universe loves us more than we can even love ourselves. But it should also make it more difficult for me to think of myself more highly than I should. Philippians 2, 3, do nothing out of rivalry or conceit, but in humility consider others as more important than yourself. Good, gracious, alive. Can you imagine what, if, if every if every person who professed the name of Jesus took that one verse and lived their life to exemplify that one verse, can you imagine how different our country would look? Can you imagine how different our world would look? Romans 12, 3, For by the grace given to me, I tell everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he should think. Instead, think sensibly as God has distributed a measure of faith to each one. Can I just, again, let, let me just, let's play dreamboat here. Let's just think out loud. What if... That verse epitomized everybody that we knew. Let's change it. What if that verse just epitomized you? You see, now I'm meddling. I understand that. It's part of my job. You see, our nation will never be at peace regardless of who is president because people are incapable of thinking of others first without the influence of the Holy Spirit. Incapable. You say, oh, Brother Kevin, you don't know. Uh, I got a friend of mine who's a Buddhist and he just, man, he puts others first. He's only doing that because he thinks that's how he's going to get out of torment. He's not doing that because he's just such a nice guy. He's scared out of his mind to, to, to act like the rest of us because they don't, they don't get grace. They have to earn everything. And we've become grace abusers. We think, well, I've got grace. I can get away with it. I can do whatever I want to as long as I ask for forgiveness. I'm okay. That's not true. You've got to want forgiveness. You've got to want to walk in obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ. You can't live. It's, it's not a get out of hell free card. How dare you? How, listen, can I just, how dare you, how dare you lower my Jesus to the level of a get out of hell free card that you can live and act in any way you want to do. And because you say Jesus, he's like some little fairy that's going to pop out with a little magic wand and little wings and forgive you of your sins. You've got to surrender to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. We have got to stop dumbing down, surrender to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords in the American church. He's not some incantation you call out to get out of trouble. He's the King of the universe and you need to submit your life to Him and live in obedience to what His Word tells you to do. Most of us have a very difficult time thinking that way even with the Holy Spirit. Because we live in a fallen creation and we are fallen creations. And without the power of the Holy Spirit, we have no hope to do right. So the Holy Spirit is at war with our flesh and our flesh is at war with the Holy Spirit. And he's saying, Kevin, don't say that. Don't think that. Don't do that. And my flesh is going, oh, but I want to think that and I want to do that. And I want to experience that. And it's not fair that I don't get to do that. And the Holy Spirit's going, no, it is fair. What's not fair is that Jesus came and lived a sinless life and died a death you deserve. So we have to be people of celebration. We have to be people with moderation. But watch this. Also, we have to be people without trepidation. Trepidation is kind of like fear. And he says this in verse 6. Don't worry about anything, but in everything, through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. 
That's a big verse, y'all. That's a big verse for 2020 in the American church in the middle of COVID, in the middle of economic downturn, in the middle of an election year. I mean, good gracious, what a, what a swirling cesspool of worry we're living in in 2020. We're told to worry about nothing and give thanks for everything. Now, that's a great juxtaposition of the American norm today. I looked the word up. Anxiety is the body's response to worry and fear. I'm going to give you some statistics that I thought were just shocking to me. Statistics on anxiety in America in 2020. Anxiety is the most common mental disorder in the United States affecting 40 million adults, according to the Anxiety and Depression Association of America. That's a 2020 stat. The prevalence by state of mental illness ranged from the lowest in Florida, somebody's lying, (laughs) to the highest in Oregon according to uh, Mental Health in America, 2017. Almost 23% of adults live with anxiety uh, and have serious, uh, a serious impairment, according to the National Institute of Health. 15 million adults have social anxiety. 6.8 million adults have generalized anxiety. And anxiety affects 23% of female adults and 14% of male adults. Now think about that. 23% of females, 14% of males, adults, are affected, impacted enough to, to, to kind of move the meter by anxiety. And the sad thing is there is a clear and simple cure for anxiety. It's called fully trusting in Jesus. But here's another place we have to battle our flesh because it wants us to worry, and we're powerless to overcome anxiety without giving control to the Holy Spirit. Sometimes anxiety is a mental or chemical problem, but other times it's simply a faith problem. You see, faith is the antidote for worry. And we have yet another call to pray here. Remember that prayer is how we talk to God, and the Bible is how God talks to us. Let me give you a couple of quotes. A.J. Gordon said, you can do more than pray after you've prayed, but you can never do more than pray until you've prayed. And then Martin Luther, the great reformer, said, Prayer is not overcoming God's reluctance, but laying hold of His willingness. Prayer is not overcoming God's reluctance, but laying hold of His willingness. Prayer is not a drink machine. We don't put something in and automatically get something out. It's not a slot machine where we put a little in with the hope of getting a windfall back. Prayer is how we talk to God, how we go to Him, and that's how we can live without trepidation, without fear, without anxiety. We've got to get out from under this blanket of anxiety that the world is trying to throw over us because let me remind you of something, church. If you belong to the Lord Jesus Christ, you don't belong to this world. You are a sojourner. You are a traveler. You are passing through to your eternal home where my residence is. So we're going to be people of celebration, people with moderation, people without trepidation. And next week we're going to talk about three more attributes from this passage we should display. So I'm going to ask you a question today, and I'm going to ask the same question next week. And I really want you to think about this. I really want you to ponder it. This week, don't, don't, the simple thing to do is, well, we're going to cover the next three. I'll just wait till that. No, I want you to think about it after these three things we've talked about and next week's three things. Here's the question. Are you the kind of person Paul tells us we're supposed to be in this passage? Are you the kind of person that Paul says we are supposed to be as followers of Jesus, as those who belong to the king? Are you that kind of person? And if not, what's keeping you from being that kind of person? 
Are you not a person of celebration? In other words, are you just always Eeyore? Just always negative, always looking for the other shoe to drop, always thinking that things are worse than they really are? Are you a person of, with moderation? Are you a person that, that understands what Christ has done for us and how we're supposed to live in there? Are you a person without trepidation? Do you live without fear that everything's going to be bad and everything's going to turn out wrong because you know that your eternity is secured in Christ? I'll say it this, this is as simple as I can say it. If you don't know Jesus, you can never know peace. If you've never surrendered to the Lordship of Christ, you, you have no idea what it means to walk in the peace of God. And if you don't belong to God, you can't be His kind of person. Now, I can't make you that kind of person. But let me tell you something. There's nothing that would make me happier than being able to introduce you to the one who can. So my challenge for you this morning is pretty simple. I'm just going to challenge you not to try to hold on to a, a religious confession. Don't hold on to a denomination. Don't hold on to some church membership. Don't hold on to some uh, baptismal certificate that maybe you have at home. Or uh, had, we, had, we were witnessing to a guy one time, and we asked him if he died today, would he go to heaven or hell? And he said, oh, I'd go to heaven. I said, well, how do you know? And he said, hold on just a minute. And he went back to the back room, and he came back with this Bible that looked like it had been sitting on a shelf for 30 years. And he, I'm not making, he opened it up, and you could hear the spine crack. It had been, been sitting on a shelf so long. And he thumbed through it, and he found this like $2 bill, if I remember right. And on there it had uh, baptized on June 3rd, 1956 by brother so-and-so. And he said, see, see, I know I'm saved. Can I just tell you something? Baptism, I get, every baptism gets you wet. But not every baptism is truly a sign that you've surrendered your heart and life to Jesus Christ. Only your life can show that. So we're not going to have a, an extended period of invitation this morning. I'm just going to ask you very simply, just right there where you are, just matter of fact, Jillian, don't even come up here. Just If you would, do me a favor. Just bow your heads and close your eyes. We're going to do this a little different this morning. Just bow your heads and close your eyes and just bear with me for one moment. We're almost done. If you're here today and you say, Brother Kevin, I've listened to your sermon and I want to have those kind of, I want to be rejoicing and I want to have peace and I want to know all that stuff and I'm ready to find out the other three things so I, so I can just have a complete life and be happy. I want all that. But you're sitting there now and you're thinking to yourself, you know what, I don't know that I've ever truly surrendered to Jesus Christ. I've been involved in church, I've been involved in religion, but I've never really given my heart and life to Jesus Christ. I've never just surrendered my everything to Him and told Him, Jesus, you're the king, you're in charge, I do what you say. If that's you this morning, would you just slip your hand up? Just slip your hand up, make sure I see you. Just slip that hand up. If, you, if you're here today and you say, Brother Kevin, I really don't know that I'm truly surrendered to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. I, I've been religious, but I've never really surrendered to Jesus. Would you just slip your hand up? Maybe you're here this morning and you say, Brother Kevin, I, I've done all that, but I'm just not living in that peace. I, I'm, just, I'm, not, I'm not able to get uh, freedom from the worries and, the, and the, the strains of this life. Would you just slip your hand up and let me pray for you? I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to call you out. But if you're just struggling in 2020 to get out from under fear and to live in freedom of Christ, would you just slip your hand up? Amen.
me pray for us. God, you, you know the hearts of each one here today, and you know, God, more than we could ever fathom. You know more about us than we know because you made us. So, God, for those hands that went up, for those hands that didn't, that, that are just struggling with some things, God, I lift this, this congregation to you. I pray that you'd minister to them. I pray you would bless them and guide them. I pray that you'd bring them peace. God, I pray that you would just, uh, just surround them with your peace and take away any kind of uh, fear that, that our current situation in the world brings. I pray that you would give them that abundant joy and hope. I pray that most of all, God, you would let them know that you are near to the brokenhearted. You are near to the fearful. You are near in every step of life's way. Help us never forget that you're the Lord who is near. Bless today, God, as only you can in Christ's name. Amen. Now, if you would look at me real quick, one more quick item of business. Uh, if, you need to, if you need to move your letter, if you want to become part of our church, you can come talk to me. We would love to talk to you about that. Uh, but, but whatever it is that God is calling you to do through these next two weeks, I just want you to really think about some of the things that these verses are pointing out. And I want us to try to make sure that if, if there's anything that we talk about over this week or next week about just anxiety, stress, uh, worry, uh, how to live in abundance, how to, how to rejoice. If you have any questions about that, if we can help you in any way as your church staff, please don't hesitate to come talk to us. Uh, either after the service or, or you know, shoot an email or call the office and set up a meeting, whatever we can do. Guys, listen, I really believe this is a, a powerful time for us to examine ourselves in 2020 because of all the things going on, uh, all the, the things leading up to this, this goodness. I, can't, I, I know the Civil War was more contentious than we are in our country right now, but I just can't fathom how because it's just goodness gracious. So, so if, you're, if you're just struggling with some of that, if, you're, if your anxiety is up and you're dealing with some of that stuff, let us help you. Come talk to us. Shoot me an email. Let's, let's, let's talk back and forth and let's see if we can work together to try to help find you more peace. Because I promise you this, I know this beyond a shadow of a doubt, Jesus doesn't want you to be fearful. He wants you to be faithful. So if you need us, we're here for you. Uh, Grayson's going to come lead us in a word of prayer and we're going to be dismissed. Uh, Again, thank you so much for blessing us with your presence and your prayers. We pray that you would let us know if there's any way we can minister to you. If you missed any of the announcements, uh, the big three early on, they'll be on the uh, Facebook page later uh, if, you, if you missed those or if you need to be reminded of something. Uh, what a day in the house of the Lord, amen? What a day in the house of the Lord, amen? It's good to be here with everybody. Let me pray and we'll be dismissed. God, we love you. We thank you for who you are. We thank you for, uh, Lord, your saving power, your redemptive power. Um, God, we thank you that you are the Prince of Peace, that uh, anxiety has no foothold on you. Um, Father, because your nature is peace. I pray for, for anyone who's dealing with anxiety or, or anything like that, Lord, that you would just give them peace. Let them know that we are here if they need someone to pray with them, um, to guide them, Lord, or just to be there with them. Well, this church is... Um, is equipped and ready to come alongside anyone dealing with that, Lord. Uh, thank you for this body of believers. Thank you for the time that we've had together. Um, but most of all, Lord, thank you for who you are. In Jesus' name, amen.